this is Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. I'm so proud of you for remembering your name this time. <laughs> this is just the zoo of us. This is your favorite animal review podcast, where we get together and we review your favorite animals. Rate them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We're still not zoological experts, but we try our best. You'd think we would be by now, right? We've <laughs> been at this for a while. <laughs> Someone mail us a degree or something. Jeez. What test do I have to take? What kind of credits am I getting for this? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, we do a lot of research and make sure that our information is solid. No fake news here. None to be found. If there is, it's in jest and we'll say so. It should be obvious if we're joking, though. We'll try to make it as obvious as possible. Yeah. Maybe I need to start editing in, in little like rim shots every time we tell a joke. <laughs> to really hammer the point home. <laughs> So normally we just kind of get right into it, but before we get started, I wanted to provide a follow-up to the last episode that you and I did together. Oh. Yeah. So last you and I spoke Ever. on the podcast. We haven't talked to each other since that time at all. <laughs> <laughs> Three weeks ago. <laughs> what, if we, what if we just, like, as soon as the recording stopped, we did not speak to each other again until the next time we were recording a podcast? People don't know this, but our whole relationship is just part of the show it's actually branding <laughs> purely for the sake of branding anyway <laughs> so last time we did an episode together you talked about the mud skipper yeah delightful little goby fish if you'd like to learn more about the mud skipper uh go back and listen to that one because it was really fun in that episode i think you mentioned that the mud skipper is sometimes kept as a pet yeah in captivity yeah and i wondered out loud how one creates such a habitat to be keeping a mudskipper in captivity because they do need, you know, to be in the water, but they also need to be on the land. Right. I heard on Twitter from Sandy Kawano, who is on Twitter at the handle at MorphoFun, and she provided a video of her pet mudskipper. She says, this was my muddy buddy. <laughs> she lived to about 10 years old and she was an absolute goober. I miss her so much. And there is a video of the mudskipper fish walking up a ramp out of like the aquatic part of the tank mm -hmm. to uh, get a piece of food out of Sandy's hand. Yeah. So basically it's like a turtle platform right. with a little ramp out of the water so that the mudskipper can get fully up out of the water and be on the platform. Yeah. I think that in that episode I said something along the lines of there are cuter fish for you to own than mudskippers. This video has kind of converted me though. This is an adorable <laughs> fish. Really cute. So I was I was just really pleased. I thought that was really sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I really appreciated that. Thank mm -hmm. you, Sandy, for letting me know. Yeah, for sure. So that's the only follow-up I had. Are you ready to get into this week? Yeah. I think it's my turn to go first. Because you did Mudskippers first last week. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Okay. <laughs> what would you do without me? Not much. <laughs> Not this podcast, that's for sure. <laughs> So this week, I have a really cool animal that I really didn't know anything about until I did these notes. So this was really exciting for me. This is the Philippine eagle. Okay. Have you ever heard of this bird? This Philippine is a big eagle. one. It's a big okay. bird. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, scientific name is Pithecophagia jeffery. <laughs> jeffery. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. <laughs> 
This bird was submitted via Instagram by Matthias Wingman. Thank you, Matthias, for suggesting this bird. This was a really great bird to learn about. Did you say Wingman? Yeah. Huh. I, I thought that was interesting. An interest in birds. That may not be... <laughs> this person's legal last name i don't know if it okay, is okay. that is an incredible coincidence <laughs> um that was fate and anyway i'm getting my information on this eagle from the philippine eagle foundation as well as birdlife international and the cornell lab of ornithology oh, okay and also some little like videos and other little sources that i'll mention as they come up yeah okay so if you don't know anything about this bird like i didn't a week ago they are a huge eagle, mm -hmm. really big. They're mostly white with brown feathers, kind of like, I think their coloration reminds me of an osprey, actually. Mm. Um, but that's really where the similarities end. You know, it's like, it's a bird of prey with these brown and white feathers, but it more, it's really bulky. It's like a big eagle. Right. They have a gray face with like a really big hooked beak, and then... This really distinctive characteristic that they have is a mane on their head. Hmm. So it's a crest of feathers on top of their head that kind of lays back on their head, hmm. but they can puff it up to turn it into like a big lion's mane. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you see this crest and like other birds have crests that they can kind of raise and lower to communicate different things. So it's just like that. It's very dramatic in this bird because hmm. it looks really cool. This bird has a wingspan of up to seven feet. Okay. Yeah, it's huge, yeah, and it's yeah. like three to four feet tall. The gist of it is, this is a really huge yeah, eagle. Sure. <laughs> you get where I'm going with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you will find these, as the name would suggest, in the Philippines. They are actually endemic to the Philippines. Mm. I love this word, endemic. So not only are they native to the Philippines, but that's the only place you can find them in the wild, in the world, just the Philippines. They're very special to the Philippines, where it is actually the national bird. Oh. Yeah. So most of the Philippine eagles will be found on the island of Mindanao in the Philippines, because there's lots of different islands mm -hmm. in the country. Um, so most of them will be found on Mindanao. And they like to live in forests on steep mountains. Hmm. So they like to be really high up. That's not uncommon for these big birds, right? They need a lot of space. Mm -hmm. So they belong to the family Axipitridae, a family of raptors. Their closest relatives are other types of eagles that are called snake eagles. Okay. We haven't talked about any of them. There's also another one, another member of this family called the Batalure. Um, that's another type of eagle in this family. I don't think they get a lot of like attention, but the Philippine eagle is very much, it's in its own genus all to itself. It's pretty different from the snake eagles. It's it's pretty unique among the eagles. Why are they called snake eagles? I, I'm assuming because they eat snakes. Okay. So actually, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because not, not for the snake eagles, but the genus name of the Philippine eagle, Pithecophagia. Mm -hmm. So this is two Greek words, Pithecus, have you ever heard Pithecus before? It sounds familiar, but can't tell you what it means. You probably heard it in the words like Australopithecus and Gigantopithecus. Oh, yeah, and like the, the Jungle Book remake. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so Gigantopithecus was yes. an extinct species of giant ape. Um, so Pithecus is Greek, which means like a primate, like a monkey or an ape. Okay. And then Phagus means oh. eater of. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> 
So uh, this is a reference to this eagle's reputation for eating monkeys. Oh. Yeah. For a long time, people thought that they only ate monkeys, but they eat a lot of other stuff other than just... They do eat monkeys. That part's true. Yeah. But they eat other stuff, too. Sure. They used to be called the monkey-eating eagle (laughs) until conservation efforts in an attempt to sort of... (laughs) boost the PR of this eagle. We're like, hey guys, let's just call it the Philippine eagle. Let's not <laughs> let's not lean so much into the monkey eating aspect of it. So yeah, that's just kind of a primer. Okay. The Philippine eagle. This is a really, really cool bird. Hmm. Let's just get right into the ratings. Yeah. So we'll start with effectiveness, which for us is physical adaptations to the animal's body that let it do a really good job of the things it's trying to do. So this is a predatory bird. It's a bird of prey. So it's trying to catch prey. I'm giving this one a full 10. You know, I li- I'm kind of reluctant to give out full 10. Yeah. But this is it. If a bird's going to get a full 10, it's going to be this one. So even though they're enormous birds, they're huge, they don't trade off agility and like dexterity like a lot of large birds do. Mm-hmm. So something I talked about with um, Patch from Tearsview back a few episodes ago when we talked about bald eagles is that they're really big, but since they're so big, they can't quite take like tight turns as well just aren't as good as maybe like turning on a dime you know they can't get through narrow spaces or anything because they're so big Mm -hmm. so they've kind of traded off like power for agility but not this one they can still you know they're flying through these treetops and canopies and they can still like navigate in between tree branches and like you know fly through the canopies so they're still really really good at getting through those tight spots which you might not expect from like a really big bird yeah i mean it seems like you would need to find you know seven foot wide holes right (laughs) (laughs) might be kind of tricky yeah so they're actually still really good at that which i think is a big that's usually the trade-off but they didn't they didn't sacrifice dexterity for Mm -hmm. you know size Another thing that is kind of strange about them, they have really long legs and they're actually not bad at running. Oh. Yeah, right? <laughs> it seems like you should only get one or the other, right? <laughs> huh. Because, you know, a lot of flighted birds have kind of traded off flight for running. You know, they've chosen to be better at flying at the sacrifice of running, but they can still run. You can look up videos on YouTube of Philippine eagles hunting on the ground where they actually are like running around on the ground, legs (laughs) fully extended, sprinting. They can also, while they're on the ground, they can like jump to get like that good sort of like swoop motion Mm -hmm. and like jump up to get some leverage up Mm. in the air. So that to me feels like watching Jurassic Park, right? (laughs) Like every time we talk about birds, we talk about how birds are dinosaurs what is a bird if not a dinosaur (laughs) persisting (laughs) so i think that's really cool it seems like it's really struck an impressive balance between like modern day bird flight and their sort of ancestral terrestrial dinosaur running on the ground it's really cool that's not their preferred way of hunting but they can do it if they well, need to. Well, good on them for keeping up the skill set. Right? Like, keep it sharp. <laughs> don't don't back yourself into any corners, basically. <laughs> keep your options open. Like other eagles, the Philippine eagle has excellent eyesight. Way, way, way better than a human's. I saw estimates ranging from eight to ten times better than a human's. That makes sense, right? You're going to be flying around way up high in the sky. You need to be able to see stuff down on the ground. 
that tracks, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they can see real good. They're an apex predator in the Philippines. Um, they eat pretty much anything that they can get their claws on, including some pretty heavy stuff. So mm. they can pick up monkeys and primates that live there, uh, snakes, monitor lizards, bats. And then this was pretty surprising, but pigs and deer. There are species of like warty pigs that are native to this area and a, a Philippine eagle can scoop them right up. I imagine they're much smaller than perhaps the domesticated pigs I'm thinking of. Yeah, they are smaller <laughs> okay. than that. Okay. They're not these like 600 pound pigs <laughs> that we've got pounds. around here. But yeah, they're not like that. But they are, they're heavy. You know? yeah, these yeah, are like yeah. dense little dudes and, and they can just swoop them right up. So, you know, naturally powerful feet, legs with these long hooked talons that let them carry off even some pretty substantial prey. Hmm. So they are a top predator where they live. Like they don't have any worries, basically, other okay. than maybe each other. The next category that we rate animals on is ingenuity, which is behavioral adaptation. So things that animals doing with their body. I'm giving this one a nine out of 10. For the Philippine eagle. They're pretty clever. They do some interesting, clever stuff. They mate monogamously for life. They pair up with a mate. They stay with that mate for their life. They raise the chick together in an egalitarian role where each parent, you know, helps raise the chick. They only have one chick every two years. Mm. Yeah. So it's kind of a high investment, a high energy investment into the chick, right? Right. If you're only going to have one and it's going to be a while before you have your next one, you know, they really are putting a lot into this chick that they've got. Did you know the baby eagles are called eaglets? Uh, maybe. How cute is that? <laughs> Eaglet. And, and this is interesting about their pairing like structure is that Philippine eagles in pairs sometimes will hunt cooperatively. Ooh. I love this. So like one will maybe fly really high up so that prey can see them and it might like scare the prey to go to another place where the other eagle is waiting to catch the prey that is scared over there. Clever girl. It, it, right? Yeah, it's exactly like that. The one eagle swoops in from a different direction while the other one is either intimidating or distracting the prey right. from another direction. So very cool pack tactics that they've got going on. Not a pack, right? Because it's only two of them. You're not going to see like a flock of these things. <laughs> if you did. It's time you'd, to go. Yeah, you'd have much bigger problems because you'd be on their menu, I'm sure. On the topic of the eaglets. This is from the Training Manual on Research and Monitoring Techniques for Birds of Prey in the Philippines. And then this information was from the Philippine Eagle Foundation. This is a quote that I just pulled directly out of it. Recent detailed observation gave revelations about play behavior in a juvenile Philippine eagle. It was seen observing tree cavities and grasping the rim of knot holes using its tail as props and wing for balance while poking its head into the cavity. <laughs> Peekaboo in there. <laughs> the young eagle also hangs itself upside down, perhaps as an exercise in balance, and was also seen doing mock attacks of inanimate objects on the ground or among tree crowns. All of these were done in the absence of the parents, which indicate that juveniles seem to learn hunting without parental intervention. Huh. I just found that such a charming little account of like a young eagle learning like the ways of the grown eagle and finding its way in the world. <laughs> You know, like a little, it's like a little, that montage from The Lion King where Simba, like, is learning how to be an adult and, like, they do a little montage and he's a grown-up at the end. Yeah. It's like that, but with a Philippine eagle, which I, I just found so charming. <laughs> that seemed great to me. 
Oh, Nat Geo Wild has this really, really beautiful video of a Philippine eagle chick being raised from an egg by its parents and like growing into maturity. You can look it up on YouTube. It's really cool. Hmm. It's really nice. They start off so like little fluff balls and then their adult feathers come in and they look so beautiful. And another thing about their like mating habits is that the Philippine eagle will often reuse the same nest from one mating season to the next. So they'll like come back to the same tree and use the same nest over again. Hmm. Which is really interesting, but it's also one of the reasons why deforestation is so disruptive to their life cycle, uh, right? Because if they're relying on these sort of like historic nests, then if that tree gets cut down, you know, they have to make a whole new nest from scratch and it could be really, really disruptive to their reproduction. And right. when they're reproducing so slowly, any disruption to that cycle is going to kind of set them back pretty far. Yeah. So uh, finally, last category for the Philippine eagle is aesthetics. Hmm. I give them a nine out of 10 for the side profile and an eight out of 10 when viewed from the front. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I feel like so many birds look so strange from the front. Like birds are always best observed from the side profile. Except an owl. Owl, that's true. Owls are the one exception that owls look good from the front. I feel like there are so few birds that look good from the front. And this is no exception. So the most distinguishing feature of the Philippine eagle is the crest. Um, so the top of the head has these long, smooth feathers. They usually lay flat along the head. But when the Philippine eagle is threatened, um, it poofs the feathers up, gives it a big like liberty spike lion's mane of feathers that looks really, really cool. Now, this is unique to the Philippine eagle. They have blue-gray eyes. Hmm. Some birds will develop this eye color like outside of mating season, um, and it'll just be like a seasonal eye coloration. But this, the Philippine eagle all the time has hmm. these like sort of steel-gray eyes that are really, really pretty. Hmm. It looks great. But then when you look at them from the front, okay, so their eyes look like droopy from the front. Do you know what I mean? Droopy. Not droopy, but it looks like they have sad eyebrows. You know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> they look like they're really sad when they look at you like head on. Um, and their beak also takes up like a huge portion of their face. Right. I don't know what it is about this eagle in particular. I don't know why it has such a huge beak, but like their beak in particular takes up like so much proportionally of their face mm. that um, from the side, it looks amazing. But from the front, it looks a little, little goofy, <laughs> just a little bit. I think that they look like if an osprey was a Pokemon, the Philippine eagle would be its next evolution. Okay. You know, it looks like if you took an osprey and just like zhuzhed it up a little bit, you know, like made it bigger and beefier and added some decorative elements to it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe a new, a secondary type. That's what I, yeah, maybe it has like a, I guess osprey would be like flying in water type. And then the Philippine eagle would be like flying in... I don't know, throw dragon in there for good measure. <laughs> oh, and another thing I wanted to say for aesthetics is that a lot of their feathers are, they're brown, but the edges of the feathers are white. Ooh. So the feather will be like white on the outside, but then brown along like the central vein of the feather. And it kind of makes the feather look like it's like glowing hmm. on the edges. It's, it's an interesting effect. I think it's really beautiful. The The plumage on this bird is really fantastic. Oh, nice. It's a gorgeous bird. And it's so beautiful and it's also huge. So like that's a winning combo for me. <laughs> There's more of it to enjoy. There's a lot of it to look at. Um, so to wrap up for the Philippine eagle, I want to talk about its conservation status. This bird is critically endangered. It's actually one of the rarest 
eagles in the entire world. It has a very small population left. So the forests that the eagles need to thrive in are largely disappearing, and it is due to human development. So some of the trees are being cut down for logging, and then the land that's left behind is being turned into agricultural fields for like industrial agriculture. And so then those forests are now no longer of any use to the eagle. So a lot of eagles are having to move higher and higher up into the mountains, or they, you know, they they need such large home ranges that they don't have a lot of place to go. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, seem, I bet they do have large like territories. Yeah, and they don't like to share space with yeah. each other. So you know, they're they're kind of being pushed into areas they're not very well adapted to living in. Mm-hmm. So I got this information from the Philippine Eagle Foundation's website. They said, "quote As the species on top of the food chain, the Philippine eagle has a crucial role to play in keeping the gentle balance of the ecosystem in check. It helps naturally regulate species population and provide an umbrella of protection." to all other life forms in its territory. An abundant Philippine eagle population signifies a healthy forest. So this is a term you hear sometimes when you're talking about like conservation is that it's like an umbrella species where like efforts to conserve this species will improve the habitat for a lot of other animals, not just them, right? So it'll be kind of a ripple effect where it's like, it's not just about the eagle, it's about all of the wildlife the eagle shares its habitat with. But improving conditions for the eagle will also benefit everything else that lives there. I think I talked about this with the giant panda. Yeah, so it's not just about that one particular animal, but that animal works pretty well as like a charismatic, you know, Mm -hmm. flagship species, I guess, basically like the face of the operation, I guess. So yeah, if you are so moved... You can learn more about conservation and support conservation for the Philippine Eagle with a donation at philippineaglefoundation.org. They even have a program where you can virtually adopt a Philippine Eagle at their website or one of the other animals they care for at their center. They have like a center where they care for wildlife there and you can actually like adopt one of their animals there, which I think is really, really cool. And that would be really, really fun. Um, So if you're looking for like a cool gift idea for somebody in your life that you love, maybe adopt them a Philippine Eagle. (laughs) Um, And you can do that at the philippineaglefoundation.org. Very cool. Yeah. That's what I have for this week. Thanks, hon. Very interesting. Of course. Thank you. Hello, friends. Brief intermission to say thank you to all of our supporters over on Patreon who keep the show going. This week, I'd like to say thank you to Jacob Schick, Bren Everfolly, Sarah Peterson, Sofiane Nasser, Vikram Baliga, April Kamik, Dalton Weeks, Julie Gilson, Christina Sanders, Paul Chomo, Randall Beeman, and the Mad Scientist Podcast. Thank you so much to everybody for keeping us going. We really appreciate you. So, babe, what animal do you have for us this week? This week... Coming back to the whales. That's true. We're back in the ocean, baby. <laughs> Can't stay away. And this time, not a toothed whale. Mm. This is the humpback whale. I'm so excited for this one. Yeah. I love this whale. Scientific name, Megaterra Novi Angliae. Nailed it. Yes. <laughs> Got it. So you've done two different toothed whales. Yes. You did the orca and the sperm whale. Yes. I think this is our first baleen whale covered on this show. It is. It's very exciting. (laughs) This species was submitted by Lily Seidlinger via email. Thank you, Lily. Getting my information from Animal Diversity Web, as well as National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which is a department in the United States government, at fisheries.noaa.gov 
And finally, National Geographic, nationalgeographic.com. Excellent. What a stellar list. <laughs> Some robust citations. Yeah. Um, so first thing I want to kind of talk about is the name. So Megaterra, and that's P-T-E-R-A. Oh, okay. <laughs> Megapatera, Megapatera. <laughs> that's what I would have thought it was if I hadn't looked for how to pronounce it. Oh, you had? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, before that, I, I saw the meaning and I figured, oh, okay, that's how that's supposed to be pronounced. I would have just like <laughs> Leroy Jenkins did that pronunciation. I yeah. would have been on here saying Megaptera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that means mega or big wing. Big wing. So that's referring to their unique fin size and shape. So they're, uh, I forget what that fin is called. Like what, what are fin? pectoral fins? Yeah. And yeah. I guess to arms. Um, and then the, the specific name, uh, Novi Anglia, which mm-hmm. means New Englander. Okay. Um, so that's because where the person that described them this way saw them in the New England area of the United States. Sure. And <clears> was like, that must be it. The one place. <laughs> it's the one place you can find them. Which is not <laughs> pretty much uh, in all of the world's oceans between the you know polar and tropical waters. There is an argument to be made that it's just the one ocean. Yeah. Um, so kind of describe what they look like. You know, first of all, they're whales, so they are aquatic mammals, so they do have to breathe air. They have blowholes, so they have to surface every once in a while to breathe. Um, as we mentioned earlier, these are baleen whales, so instead of teeth, they have. Uh, these baleen, I think pads is what they're called mm. in their mouths. Bristles. Bris- the best way I can describe them or imagine like a straw broom, mm-hmm. but like all the way around <laughs> on their jaws. <laughs> I think of it as a toothbrush. Yeah. I've actually gotten to hold a piece before. Really? Yeah. When was that? It was like a seventh grade science class or something. What did it feel like? Um, kind of like a fibrous plant. Really? Yeah. I guess that kind of makes sense, yeah. I guess. Because yeah. it's still like that organic kind of material. You right. know? Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. Huh. How thick were the strands of baleen? Like in your memory? Um, I don't have any frame of reference for this. Gosh, this is, this is a long time ago. Like if you're like holding it in your hand, right? Is it like hair? Kind of it's thickness? stiffer than that. Straw is actually a pretty good descriptor in terms of like width. hay. Yeah. Okay. But it's thicker. It's denser than that. That's that's just a size comparison. Sure. That's from my memory. At least could be totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, also if you were holding it, you know, it's all yeah. like dried out and yeah, yeah, been yeah. preserved in some way because it was just that it wasn't attached. Right. To <laughs> very interesting. Baleen is very interesting. Yeah. To me. So it's meant as a filter, which I'll talk about more a little bit later. But humpback whales, uh, so first of all, they're very big. Coloration-wise, you know, the, the top side is a very dark gray kind of black coloration, and then they're more of a white color on the undersides. Mm-hmm. They have very long pectoral fins. Um, they have bumps kind of along those fins and their face. Mm-hmm. They're bumpy boys, huh? Yes. Super gnarly looking. <laughs> That's how big they are. The source I was using about for their mass, I thought was interesting because they describe their mass in grams. What? And they use scientific notation for this. But why? <laughs> <laughs> that would be like if you... Like, I don't know. <laughs> measured so, it in pebbles. I don't know. Like, so average mass is 30 million grams. <laughs> Or 30,000 kilograms or 30 metric tons. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. (laughs) And I say metric tons because in the U.S. we also have a ton, but it is 
a different unit. Ugh. And in U.S. tons, that's about 33, and uh, which is about 66,000 pounds. I am American, so I'm going to need you to convert <laughs> that into the most absurd, ridiculous unit you can possibly think of. So to put it in perspective. Thank you. <laughs> that is about two-fifths of, the, of a space shuttle. Two-fifths of a space shuttle. Yes. Okay. So one space shuttle is two and a half humpback whales. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for the American conversion system. Oh, what is that in um, football fields? Can I get that in hamburgers? But to um, put them in perspective of the largest whale, also largest animal Mm -hmm. on Earth, the blue whale, and that's three-tenths of a blue whale. Wow. So they're not even even scratching the surface of a blue whale. Right. So one blue whale is about three and a half humpback whales. Goodness. (laughs) And um, females are larger than males in this species, which Look is at them go. unusual for mammals. Yeah. Wow. Good for her. Yeah. Lengthwise, they get up to 60 feet or about 18 meters. And that's about 1.25 times the length of a semi-truck trailer. And I already mentioned where they're found to polar and tropical waters um, because they, they do migrate where they spend, you know, colder months in tropical waters and warmer months in colder waters we're no stranger to this pattern we do live in florida (laughs) now their taxonomic family i unfortunately did not look up how to pronounce this so let's hear it bailey nopteridae so first of all that family is known as the rorquals what rorquals rorqual r-o-r-q-u-a-l i've never heard this word in my life (laughs) in my whole life i've never heard this word before so this just describes the the whales that are in this family Um, so this includes mink beards say fin gray and blue whales okay Okay. this is a very phonetically challenging episode it is and i didn't do very many lookups on pronunciations we're in for a bumpy ride Um, This is one of the three families that make up the baleen whales. Okay. um, Also known as the mysticetes. Mysticetes. That one I did look up. Good job. (laughs) Wrote down the phonetic pronunciation. (laughs) Thank you. So first category. Oh, before we move on for like whale taxonomy. Yeah. Um, Because I just think this is interesting. I think cetacean natural like history is very interesting. Mm -hmm. I think it's really funny how... You know, the common ancestor of all, like, terrestrial life came up out of the ocean, spent millions of years evolving on land, Mm -hmm. really, like, was like, yes, definitely walking on land is our thing. And then (laughs) the ancestor of the cetaceans was an ungulate, was, like, looking around, like, "Mm, I think I'm going to go back, though. (laughs) I do think we had it right the first time. I do think we will turn right back around and head back in the water. Worked out, though, because they grew to a size that would just not be feasible for terrestrial animals, really. (laughs) True. I guess they could really live their best life out there and get to such ridiculous sizes because they're not constrained by gravity. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't think there's any scenario where something as large as a blue whale outside of water on this planet would work (laughs) it would just crush itself right like the weight would just be too much yeah yeah anyway our first category of effectiveness i'm giving a nine out of ten very good so first and foremost size (laughs) what is gonna step to this whale they're very big and they're not really preyed on anything much once fully grown though it does happen just not very often some of the things that do prey on them when they're smaller and younger include killer whales well, yeah. <laughs> and uh, other large ocean predators. Sure. I think of like baleen whales as like the elephants of 
the ocean. Right. You know, yeah. like they're just so big that nothing's really going to bother them. Yeah. Yeah. But they're also not necessarily like hunting other animals except for like, you know, the krill and little plankton that they <laughs> right. eat. So, you know, they're kind of like gentle giants, I guess. Yeah. So that's actually my second point is their diet. So they feed on plankton, which includes krill and fish. Mm-hmm. Which I had to refresh my kind of knowledge on this. Um, krill are plankton, mm-hmm. but not all plankton are krill. Right. <laughs> yeah. So a, a little while ago, I talked to Jimmy Bernat, who talked to us about copepods, mm-hmm. which are a type of crustacean that do largely make up what plankton are. It's mm-hmm. so like plankton is just a word for like all the little, little stuff that's but, like swimming around in the ocean. Yeah. What I read was just living organisms that are. You know, either too small, like usually too small that they, they can't move themselves. They have to rely on currents to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to move at the surface level of the water. Yeah, like even like baby fish mm-hmm. or like larva of something that will eventually grow to be big. When the, when it's a baby, it might be like part of sure. plankton because it's just a baby. Uh-huh. And then it'll grow out of it. But but krill is like a specific like type of animal. Right. So the second part of what I said was also fish mm-hmm. so they're not just going after these tiny little organisms they're also going after smaller fish like whole schools of them okay oh all right <laughs> just going for the bulk uh mm-hmm. the bulk order yeah 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 the way they do this of course is they'll get a bunch of water in their mouths that includes the things they're trying to get and then they'll push out that water through the baleen in their mouths mm, and just leave the bits behind yeah. Yep, and then they'll use their huge tongues to kind of work it back into their throat. This will be familiar to anybody who's seen Finding Nemo. Yes, yes, exactly. Did you have anything in your notes about Finding Nemo? None, nothing, sorry. I don't know if the whale in Finding Nemo was <laughs> specifically was. a humpback whale. I think it was, and that's primarily based on the sound Dory was making, <laughs> which I'll get to that a little later. Oh, good. <laughs> um, one of the things they do when they do this is that their throat can expand and get bigger when they open their mouths and do mm. this, and that's because they have these ventral grooves that allow for that expansion is that what that is those like ridges on the bottom of their throat yep wow i I knew that they were there but i didn't know what they were for but it kind of like gives them some stretching room yeah yeah like an accordion sort of (laughs) basically wow that's really interesting (laughs) that's so cool you can see this a lot like this billowy sort of like expansion of their throat when they come up out of the water yes exactly it kind of like flaps around (laughs) (laughs) The next thing I want to talk about are ectoparasites. Oh, definitely. For sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> so these are parasites that exist outside of their body other than endoparasites, I think. Yeah, yeah. Those would be like worms and stuff and their organs and stuff. Sure. But these things, um, so first of all, humpback whales are the most parasitized in their family. Prime real estate. Yeah. So these things include barnacles and whale lice. Whale lice? Yes. <laughs> This took me down a path. (laughs) Um, So first of all, it's thought to have lots of these because of their relatively slow swim speed. So Mm. this gives these things a chance to to latch on. Yeah, they're not really booking it around the ocean. So whale lice are actually related to the kind of lice you and I would have to worry about. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Is no one safe? (laughs) But instead of latching on to hair follicles and such, these things have like hooks that they're like hooking into the flesh of the whale. Well, I mean, you'd have to, right? Like the whale has pretty, pretty thick skin. And these things, they like to position themselves in grooves and openings and wounds Mm. of the whale. And they got plenty of those, huh? They're nasty. (laughs) (laughs) 
And they're not small either. Like mm-hmm. you can very easily see them with the naked eye. Like some of them get as big as, I mean, I'm, I'm just guessing based on what pictures I saw, but mm-hmm. like a quarter. Sure. <laughs> not cute. A coin. Not a cute look. Yeah. And they get a lot of them. So I thought it was interesting because there, I came across a paper titled Fight or Flight, Anti-Predator Strategies of Baleen Whales by John K.B. Ford and Randall R. Reeves. You might be wondering, how does this relate? I trust you. I trust <laughs> the process. So it's theorized that barnacles may serve as defense and offense against predators. <gasps> Would you like to form an alliance with me? Right. So those that maybe aren't familiar, barnacles are a type of crustacean. Longtime listeners of the show will absolutely be familiar with barnacles. (laughs) We did a whole episode on barnacles. And I think we kind of mentioned that they do latch on to to whales. Okay. But I don't think we really went into anti-predation, like the function of barnacles. So it's the, the idea is like maybe these whales are, you know, doing things for the sole purpose of encouraging barnacles because they can act as armor. And then also if they're running into something else, like maybe another whale or whatever, it also will scrape up that other thing a lot. Yeah. Cause I was thinking like, it must really suck for a whale to get lice because they can't scratch it, you know, right. like they don't have anything to yeah. scratch it with. Cause other cetaceans get these, but when they're the smaller ones like orcas and dolphins and stuff, you know, those can get into shallower waters and, scratch themselves on rocks and gravel beds mm-hmm. right you can actually find videos of them doing this kind of behavior sure um the only thing i'm gonna i, I took a point off for with effectiveness was they have little if any sense of smell really yeah they have greatly reduced olfactory organs oh no yeah <laughs> which maybe they don't need them that just seems like why would you want to let that go you know like yeah. that seems like a really important thing that you would need yeah i don't know second category of ingenuity I'm giving an 8 out of 10. Decent. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. So first I want to talk about their hunting methods. The, the big thing is bubble nets. I love this. Yeah. This is one of my favorite things in the world. Yeah. So they'll they'll swim underwater, exhaling out of their blowhole, which is causing bubbles to rise to the surface. Um, so this confuses and startles their prey. So, you know, right now we're, we're talking about actual fish because mm-hmm. there's no point in doing this for plankton. Yeah. <laughs> So they're, they're doing this for a school of fish and they're kind of, this varies based on what population of whales you're looking at. But the basic idea is they'll, they'll kind of round up the fish into one area to where some of the whales will be doing the bubble net and the other whales will be coming up underneath into the center and chomp them. <laughs> yeah. If you look up drone footage of this happening, they're kind of like shooting the bubbles up in like a spiral Yeah, to corral the, the fish into a smaller and smaller and smaller area yep. until one of the whales just pops right up the middle and just nabs all the fish right in the middle. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. It is so good. If you can find like a nice drone footage, like of humpback whales bubble netting from up in the air. Gosh, it's cool. Yeah. I think I've seen video, too, of people on boats that unfortunately found themselves too close to this. <laughs> Would not be me. Yeah. Um, they also use tail slapping. So one, either directly <laughs> against the fish or two, to basically do the same thing where they're causing f- like a foam in the water to kind of startle them and corral them. So, yeah, hunting methods. Really interesting. Very cool. Earlier, I kind of hinted at this, but they also have communication. Humpback whales are famously known for their songs, right? Yeah. They sure are. So they're thought to be used for finding mates. And here's the thing I didn't know. Calves, which is what we call the baby whales, Mm -hmm. 
are known to whisper to their mother. No. Yes. Stop it. So they do this to stay in the contact, but they want to avoid detection by predators. Right. <laughs> wow. And I actually have a sound for you. Oh. And maybe you can put it in. I can, yeah. <laughs> and I, and I say, That's precious. Right? And I say whisper, but it's it's relative to how loud humpback's songs usually are. Right, which is pretty loud. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I thought it was interesting. That's adorable. <laughs> and you know, that's really interesting because there's other ungulates because you know whales are related to ungulates. Mm-hmm. There's ungulates that the babies communicate with their parents using this sort of infrasonic. Is that what it is? I don't know. They use this communication with their parents that's outside of the range of hearing that most things can usually hear. Yeah. Um, like elephants do this. Um, who else does it? I want to say like Okapis do it maybe where they will make this sort of like call to each other that mm. nothing else can hear. That's really cool yeah. though that like you can see that similarity with whales. Yeah, this one is more based on volume. Yeah. Just because, you know, the things that hunt them are also whales. Sure. So. Wow. That's a cute sound. Yeah. Though. I think so too. I don't know if you're going to go into this later, but I have heard that activity like industrial activity in the ocean mm. really messes with their communication with each other. Because if there's something like mining or like some sort of loud like industrial equipment going on, mm-hmm. um, that it like drowns their calls out and they can't hear each other. Um, not specifically that, but it would make sense. And I think we maybe touched on that with the sperm whale. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, similar, I guess, tangentially to the baby thing. Uh, another point I want to talk about here is how defensive mothers are of the babies. Oh, You don't want to be on her bad side. Yeah, yeah. So they're very defensive because of, you know, for the amount of time and resources it takes to raise a calf. Because they they, uh, reproduce once every two years. Mm -hmm. A lot like your eagle, actually. Um, And it's just one. Just the one baby. Yeah. Very, very, very protective of their young. I already touched on this, what I call pod tactics. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because we call a group of whales a pod. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they'll, they'll work together for hunting and such. And my final point, which is another interesting thing I didn't really know about, is they have mad beef with orcas. Really? <laughs> <laughs> is there a turf war going on? Like, like it's to a level where it implies higher intelligence. Really? <laughs> yeah. That they just absolutely can't stand each other? So here's the thing. Humpback whales have been observed many times interfering with orca hunts. <laughs> That's so rude. Trying to protect the thing the orcas are trying to go after. And most of the time, it's not a humpback whale. (laughs) (laughs) Just out of pure spite. (laughs) So we're talking like other whales, humans... Uh, whales and even sunfish. They they they, they were doing, <laughs> recorded doing this to protect the pair of sunfish. That's the funniest <laughs> mental image of a, a sunfish just trudging along, doing its absolute best. Here comes an orca. That sunfish is like, oh, right in my final will. I'm. This is the end of my days. And then a humpback whale from the from across the sea looks over, sees this going on, is like, uh, uh-uh, uh, not on my watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in May of 2012, a pod of orcas killed a gray whale calf Mm. um, that was with its mother. But then a bunch of humpbacks showed up and wouldn't let the orcas feed on it. (gasps) 
Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, even though the damage had been yeah. done, they were not going to let him get the satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. And this went on for like six and a half hours. Really? Yeah. Wow. So it's uncertain as to if this is being driven by personal benefit or some sort of altruism. Yeah. Um, so, like, the benefit could be they know... The worse off the orcas are, the better we're going to be off. I guess. <laughs> or even like, like, oh, I was attacked by an orca when I was a young humpback whale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now it's a whole grudge. So I guess, you know, from the biology perspective, you know, that's, it, it has to be assumed that there's, there's some sort of personal benefit. <laughs> right. There's got to there's gotta be something. Yeah. But. Regardless, that that's a very high level of thinking. <laughs> right. To go out of your way, yeah. you know, and not out of a sense of, oh, this is one of my pod. I better protect my pod. Right. This is just, uh-uh. <laughs> no orca is going to be getting a meal. Not in my, not in my town. <laughs> I like to imagine that the humpback whales are just whale cops, just like patrolling <laughs> the ocean. Like, like, keep an eye out for those orcas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's rough out there. <laughs> Although, I can't say orcas maybe have a coming a little bit (laughs) it's like it's it would take a humpback whale right to stand up to the orcas like someone's got to do it orcas have been unchecked for too long supposedly a fully a full-grown healthy humpback whale could hold off a pot of orcas i mean orcas have they'll group up and cyber bully anyone (laughs) in their path in my research on this i came across a story and video of a bunch of of pods of orcas teaming up to take down a young blue whale. Oh man. It was intense. I mean, at that point, just go for something easier. There's well, other yeah. stuff. And that's the thing. Like earlier I, I talked about that paper of fight and flight with mm-hmm. baleen whales. And you know, it comes down to, you know, for the, for the baleen whales that will fight, the predator is risking injury. Right. Right. And then for those that will flight or run away, that, is energy consumption to chase them down like just go for something easier (laughs) go eat a fish settle down (laughs) so yeah that's my ingenuity on the humpback whale for sure that was surprisingly like intense (laughs) very petty (laughs) it is this is like whale game of thrones going on out in the Uh, out in the ocean and our final uh category aesthetics i'm just kind of full 10 out of 10 i like how they look it's a beautiful whale long majestic bumpy it's very bumpy <laughs> they're iconic yeah too because like their shape is very unique yes. it, it would be hard to mistake them for a different whale yeah they do have that you know with the hump back you know they have that sort of yeah. like ridge along their back that you don't Although, see on other i guess you would have to be somewhat close or you would have to see them breach which mm-hmm. i can't believe i didn't talk about this one of the things they're known for is breaching the water when they do hunt yeah or part of communication so like a huge amount of their body can come out of the water and then they'll flop down it's very impressive yeah. very dramatic i'm always impressed by how much of their body they can actually yeah. get because they're in a free fall you know like they completely it's something like two-thirds of their whole body can get out of the water and that's so much body to yeah. get out of there you know like just imagine how much thrust they're having to generate to yeah. eat themselves out of the water like that so this is a good kind of segue so humpback whales are very popular for ecotourism and mm-hmm. whale watching yeah because of this yeah I've never been whale watching. Me neither. I know lots of people who have been whale watching. They say it is an incredible experience. 
I am super happy for everybody who goes whale watching. I hope you have a lot of fun. <laughs> I would never. <laughs> I it's it's not out of any sort of moral value. It is that I cannot think of anything scarier to me than going out on a boat with whales yeah. in the water. I can't think of anything scarier. So there are rules, right, of how close you can be to aquatic mammals. Not just humpback whales, but if the company that you're touring with follows the rules, you should be at least, I think it's 100 yards away. Mm-hmm. That's not enough yards for me. <laughs> or a football field. A f- one, one football field. <laughs> one American football field. Yes. Um, now, just kind of dig into our last little stuff here. Conservation status. This surprised me a lot. Mm-hmm. Least concern. Really? I feel like they're like the poster child, like the save the whales, you know, icon. They were is the thing. So yeah, right now, least concern population trend increasing. That's great. Yeah, per the 2018 assessment. Nice. They were endangered in the 80s, vulnerable in the 90s, and least concern as of 2008 assessment. Look at them the go. You yeah. love to see it. So they were overhunted by the whaling industry, particularly in the early 20th century um, with the Industrial Revolution and such. Um, hunting them was banned in the Southern Hemisphere in 1963, in the North Atlantic in 1956, and in the North Pacific in 1966. Commercial whaling in general was banned in the mid-1980s. Sure. So that that's what's attributed to their comeback. Good for you. You look happy <laughs> and healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was surprised by that. I, I guess I thought they would be at least somewhat vulnerable still but all right that's awesome love yeah. to hear it now that is at a global population level true because they are found across the globe like that right so there might be pockets where they're maybe not so well off threats to them include vessel strikes uh, because of how active they are at the surface of the ocean and climate change entanglement in fishing gear and harassment from vessels that get too close mm. so that could include whale watching vessels and such sure keep your distance be respectful. You don't want to get... I cannot emphasize <laughs> enough. They will flip your boat. They'll have fun with it, too. And supposedly groups of pods of humpback whales are more aggressive than single whales. Because mm, <laughs> they know. They got their buds with them. They got to flex for their buds, you know? Right. Like, you can't... You got to look tough in front of your pals. Yeah. Flex a little bit for your, for your bros. Before we come off of humpback whales for good, in Finding Nemo... Mm-hmm. They are swallowed by the humpback whale. Yeah. Or at least in its mouth. Well, they're in like the humpback whale's mouth. Yeah. And then Dory says that they have to like go down the whale's throat. Right. Right. It's like a, in, in the narratively, it's like a trust thing, you know, like she's, she's basically like, oh, you got to trust me. This is what we need to do. And it's like a big, you know, emotional climactic moment because Marlon's just like, okay. And then he lets go and they yeah. go down the, the whale's throat. And then... They come out the whale's blowhole. Hey, wait a minute. Right? (laughs) I don't think it works like that. It doesn't. (laughs) It's a different system, right? So I think that comes from where when you see a whale breathe out, Mm -hmm. I think people are like thinking of, oh, they spit water out their blowhole, which I don't think that's what it is. I think it's, it's just water vapor. Sure. Which is water vapor from the, the air that was that was in their lungs and it's now warmer relative sure. to the ambient air. 
Basically, the gist being, you cannot get from their throat, their esophagus, into their blowhole. It's a different... That's the respiratory system. It's a different system entirely in their body. Right. This is just a little nitpicky thing. Sure. <laughs> about Finding Nemo. <laughs> I think that's because, you know, with humans, you know, that is that is connected. That's true. Yeah. It's all mouth stuff. Because I guess you would think of their blowhole to be analogous to their nostrils, right? Sure. Oh, I guess it is, isn't it? It's like you took their nose and you just like... Put it on their forehead. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. I do wish you hadn't said that. That's funny, though. Great whale. Thanks. Good job. Well, that's all we had for this week. Um, thank you so much to everybody who's been listening. We really appreciate it. And to everybody who has been saying nice things about us, recommending us to your friends, leaving nice reviews. It is so incredibly nice of you. And we really appreciate it. It makes my day every time. Mm. Um, whenever I'm feeling sad and I need to pick me up, I scroll through our Apple and Podchaser reviews because you guys have such nice things to say. And it mm. makes me really happy. You can come hang out with us virtually. We're on Facebook. We have a Facebook group. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. And also, new since last time we spoke, we have a Discord server where you can come hang out with us. Actually, last week, I streamed some Abzu with some mm -hmm. listeners on Discord, um, and we uh, rode a humpback whale in Abzu, found humpback whales in Abzu. So that's a little tie-in. <laughs> and also TikTok. I'm on TikTok. Yeah. Um, the TikTok content is a little bit different. I've been doing a lot of videos about the real world animals that inspired Pokemon. Um, and I've also been doing a lot of just general memes, like TikTok memes. Um, but it, we're on there. It's mm -hmm. pretty fun stuff. So um, come check us out on social media, on Discord and TikTok. If you have an animal that you want to hear us review, you could submit those to us. I'm going to request that you please email them to me. <laughs> um, I will, I'm sure, take a note of it if you get them to me on social media. But please keep in mind that we have so many different social media outlets that if they go to my inbox, they're all going to one place. And the likelihood that I will um, be able to keep that organized and keep track of it is much higher if it's in our inbox. Also, if you have a request that's like a reptile or any invertebrate, please get those in because I love to do those. And finally, thank you, Louis Zong, for allowing us to use your track Adventuring off of the album B-Sides. It's really great. It is. We appreciate it so much. It's very beautiful. I think that's all we have. Yeah. Sweet. That's a wrap. I guess I will um, not speak to you again for another two weeks until the next time we record an episode together. We're shaking hands right now. We are. And we <laughs> will not interact in any capacity until the next time we sit down to do a podcast together. We can't lose out on the content. You know, like any time that we're having a conversation together, that's good stuff. Right. And if we're not recording it, then we're missing it. <laughs> Podcasting FOMO. <laughs> All right, thanks, babe. Thank you, baby. Bye. Bye. Bye.